was describing the places where I was. Um, in Bujumbura, the capital, the, a lot of people have running water. Uh, just some of the places I was didn't. And that's true of some of the other cities as well. And, uh, but as far as hot water goes, if you want hot water, you have to go to a high dollar hotel. And there you might get it. But uh, I was staying at some orphanages and, and they, they're pretty basic there. But I want to share with you this morning from John chapter 13. And we are in the season of Lent right now, preparing for the good news of the message of Easter. And I just wanted to share, when you're talking about leadership, we're actually talking about um, the proper use of authority and power. That's what leadership is all about. People have been entrusted and it's how they used and how they fulfill that trust. I want to talk about two different individuals this morning, and we're going to, to look and see how these two men used the authority and power that was theirs. The first is Jesus. In Philippians, in John chapter 13, uh, verses 1 through 5, and then I'll be reading verses 12 through 17. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. Of course, he comes to, to Peter. Peter feels awkward, starts to protest. Jesus tells him, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Now, he says that to each one of us. He says that to each one of us today. Jesus will tell you and he'll tell me. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then verse 12 through 17. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. He asked a very important question here now. A question again that we need to be asking ourselves. That Jesus is asking us. Do you understand what I have done for you? That's an important question for each one of us to answer in the presence of the Lord. He's the one asking the question. He's asking you. He's asking me. Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. He's talking to us today as his followers. 
Five times, just in chapter 13, five times in this one chapter, it says that Jesus knew who it was who was going to betray him. He understood that. He knew what was coming. He knew that every one of these men in just a few short hours were going to run away and leave him. He knew Peter was going to deny, swear an oath, and call down curses on himself that he never knew who Jesus was because of fear. And Jesus knew what was in the heart of Judas Iscariot. So there were actually 14 in the upper room. There was Jesus, there was the 12, and there was Satan. He was there. Jesus, knowing this about his followers, gets on his knees in front of these men and washes their feet. He washed the feet of Judas Iscariot. That's what leadership is all about. That's the proper use of power and authority. Anything else is idolatry. Anything else is idolatry. He knows the man's going to betray him to a, a shameful, painful, torturous death. And he washes his feet. And he had the power to just wipe him out right then. Instead, he washes his feet. And I'm thinking, Lord, how could you do that? How could you wash the feet of a man like Judas Iscariot? And it seemed like I hear the Lord speaking to me. If you were there, I would have washed your feet. So he asks the disciples in the upper room. He asked you. He asked me. Do you understand what I have done for you? Now that's what power is all about. God has been consistent in that. That's what he's done over and over again. That's what he continues to do for us. For us. In Matthew chapter 27, shortly after this, the next morning actually, after the mockery of a trial before the Jews, they took Jesus and handed him over to the political authorities of the day, represented in the governor, Pilate. We're in Matthew chapter 27. And I want to read verses 15 through 26. Matthew chapter 27, verses 15 through 26. So they've brought Jesus to Pilate and um, made all their accusations. Peter has, uh, Jesus hasn't answered a single accusation. If you know who you are, if you know who you are in the presence of God, you don't have to justify yourself to anybody. If you know who you are, you don't have to justify yourself to anybody. Jesus knew who he was. Now it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. 
At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Um, the other Gospels tell us that he was there because he had led a rebellion and had murdered some people. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. When Pilate was sitting on his judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, Don't have anything to do with that innocent man. I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priest and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you, asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. And he asked the question. And this question also is one that every one of us has to answer. It's not an option. Because Jesus has come, every one of us has to answer this question. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ? Good question. We have to answer that question along with the people of Pilate's day. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It's your responsibility. All the people answered, let his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. So Pilate was the representative of the most powerful country in that area at the time. He was a representative of Rome, the highest political authority in that part of the world. He also has power and authority. Power, all the power and the authority of the Roman Empire behind him, all that's political and military and economic might was behind him. <coughs> But notice how he uses the authority and power that's entrusted to him. He's going to use it to do what is expedient and politically uh, beneficial to himself. He's going to use it for purely selfish reasons. So they bring Jesus. He knows, he understands what's going on behind the scenes. He knows this is an innocent man. Three or four times he tries to have him released. And he publicly declares, I find no fault in this man. He is an innocent man. He's done nothing more punishable by death. And he says it over and over again. And yet the people are crying out. This is what happens when you rule by majority. Because every time they will choose the terrorist over Jesus. Every time. And if you or I are left to our own self, apart from God, we would choose it too. We have. So they persuaded the crowd to do what they wanted. But Pilate's asking the right questions. 
What then do we do with Jesus, who is called Christ? Well, you've got two options. You can acknowledge him or you can crucify him. We face the same two options this morning. Acknowledge him or crucify him. There isn't any middle ground. Pilate tried to find a middle ground. And he tried to place himself in a position where they would not be able to blame him. But he has the position of leadership and power and authority. And so the responsibility is his. It's the kind of thing that, um, right from the very beginning, people have tried to do. Uh, people today, we have that lifestyle taught and lived out every single day in the world in which you and I live. People don't want to take responsibility for their own actions. They want the benefit. They want the blessings of what they want. They don't want any accountability and no commitment or responsibility. This is why we're having problems in the home. This is why there's problems with people living together outside of marriage. No obligation, no responsibility, uh, no commitment, but all the benefits of a relationship. We're just like these people. No different. So Adam sins, and God confronts him. And he says, I did sin, but it wasn't my fault. It was the wife that you gave him. So he goes to Eve. Yes, I sinned. It wasn't my fault. It was a serpent. We, we understand that. I was um, a principal of a couple of private Christian schools, two different ones, and uh, part of my responsibilities was in charge of discipline. And every time you had a, a kid up for discipline, this is what you heard. <laughs> it wasn't my fault. <laughs> So that's what they're saying. It's not their fault. Cain kills his brother. God comes to Cain and says, uh, where's your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? Am I responsible for him? And the answer is yes. So the Pharisees asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And he told them the parable of the Good Samaritan about a people that they hated. And um, they had to acknowledge that that man was the neighbor. So these are the same kind of things that are going on, the issues that are taking place here. <clears throat> Pilate trying to escape the responsibility that is his and his alone. Now he's going to wash his hands and say it's your responsibility. But as you say the creeds in the historic church, what do we always say? Crucified under Pontius Pilate. Because he can wash his hands all he wants to, but it's his seal on the order to execute him. It's his seal and his name. So here's Pilate. He's trying to make a point with these people. He calls for a big bowl and a pitcher of water, and he stands there, and he has a servant, a servant wash his hands, pour the water on his hands, and he's washing it. 
I'm finished, I don't have any responsibility at all. It's not my deal. You see to it. <clears throat> but he can't escape that responsibility. And we can't escape ours either. The sins we've committed, we have committed. We are accountable and responsible. And when we stand before God, he will ask us. He's not going to ask us what this crowd was saying when he looks at Pilate. He's going to say, you knew he was innocent. How did you use the authority and power that was entrusted to you for justice as well as government? Oh, but I washed my hands. And whose name was on the order? Who's sealed? So we try to do that, don't we? Like Adam, like Eve, like Cain, like Pilate. We try to wash our hands and say, it's not my fault. It's not my responsibility. But we all stand before God and give an account to him as individuals. And we can't put that responsibility off on anybody else. We can't blame the culture. We can't blame society. We can't blame poverty or economics. We can't blame family life. You can't blame those things. They all have an influence. That's true. But at the end of the day, we make choices. Each one of us make choices. So today, we're either foot washers or hand washers. And we are one or the other. Foot washers or hand washers. That's our options. Well, he said that, and he was trying to say, it's your responsibility. And the people said, that's fine. We will accept that responsibility. Let his blood be on us and on our children. That is a frightening statement, what they just said. We will be guilty of the blood of Jesus. You can make our children guilty with us. Now this was just the culmination of what Jesus had told them was coming. Way back in Matthew chapter 23, This is like a 50s song, chapter 23 of Matthew, full of woes. You know, so as you're reading, you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I don't know if it was written in the 50s or maybe before that. Anyway, uh, Matthew 23 is a series of woes. And in the midst of these woes, this is what he says, starting with uh, verse 25. He's talking about the Pharisees and teachers of the law, calls them hypocrites, people who are just acting, playing a part to impress people. When you play a part, it's not who you really are. It's a front that you're presenting to people. So that today in psychology and all that, they call it people wearing masks. And again, all of these are theater terms. People playing a part, wearing a mask, trying to appear something that they are not. He said, you wash the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. And so he says, first clean the inside, and then the outside will be clean. He says that they are like whitewashed tombs. On the outside they appear beautiful, but inside they're full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. And he says, that's the way you are. 
you appear to people to be fine on the outside, but inside is, is the cover-up for all the hypocrisy and wickedness that's in your heart and in your life. And then he says in verse 29, and here's what's being fulfilled at the trial of Jesus. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourself that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the sin of your forefathers. Now in Genesis 15, 16, God is telling Abraham the history of the people who are coming after him, part of the covenant that God was making with Abraham. <coughs> and he told them that they were going to be subject for 400 years and then God would bring them back. And he makes a statement in there because the sin of the Amorites is not yet full. The Amorites is a, a word for Westerners, the people who were the, the indigenous people of that area that were living there then that were very wicked. God was going to give them 400 years to change and repent. And at the end of that time, he was going to come in and those people were to be wiped out. Now this is the same language that Jesus is using here. Fill up then the measure of the sin of your forefathers. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. I tell you the truth, all this will come upon this generation. These are the people that are crying out, his blood be upon us and upon our children. It is a fulfillment of what Jesus said. You are the, the descendants of those who killed the prophets and you are going to fill up the greatness of that iniquity and this will be judged on this generation. Forty years later, Rome came in and leveled Jerusalem to the ground. That generation, under God's judgment, because they refused to repent, his blood be on us and on our children. Okay. Okay. If that's what you want, that's what you will get. And the wrath of God came upon them. But it's interesting, isn't it? As Christians, what are we praying? His blood be on us and on our children. That's what I'm praying. His blood be on me and on my family. A different motive, hopefully. 1 John 1, 7 says, The blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. Hebrews 9, 22 tells us, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. <coughs> so that's why Jesus came. That's why He was there. That's why He was dying on the cross that his shed blood would cover over our sins and cleanse us and purge us. Hebrews 9, 14. 
the writer of Hebrews has it correct. Speaking about Jesus entering into the holy place, he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. His blood be upon us. Cleanse us from acts that lead to death to cleanse our consciences that we may serve the living God. So we are like Pilate answering the question, what shall I do? with Jesus, who is called the Christ. We are either foot washers or we are hand washers. And we are all, everyone here this morning, crying out to God, His blood be upon us and upon our children. And it will be either those who are crucifying Him or those who are serving Him. There is no middle ground. So the blood of Christ will be responding to us. And God makes it very clear. John chapter 3. We all know John 3.16. That's only part of the picture. The other part is John chapter 3, verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life for God's wrath remains on him. Foot washers, hand washers. What will you do? What shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? Let's pray. Father, you asked us a good question. Do you understand what I have done for you? If we're honest, Lord, we'll have to say, no, we don't. We're trying to, we want to, we understand, we get a little glimpse of it. But we don't fully understand what you've done for us. If we understood, even a little bit, many of us would not live the way we are. So we stand before you and we pray, Lord, your blood be upon us for forgiveness for cleansing, to draw us close to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So our church...